0: Hello, and welcome to the Natural Evolution Podcast produced by Rebel Health Tribe. I'm Michael, and I'll be your host. Together, we will be hearing inspiring stories of healing and transformation, learning from some of the brightest minds in the world of functional medicine and holistic wellness, and exploring the world's best health related products, services, tools, and resources. We're live for a fun conversation today about PCOS. Something I didn't think I'd ever say in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I am joined by Dr. Felice Gersh. Dr. Gersh, thank you for being here.
1: Well, my pleasure, and I hope everyone will think it's an interesting topic.
0: Yeah, and, and I, when I was reading through the, the show notes before, I thought, "Wow, this is going to be an angle on this I've never heard or talked about before." And so, I think we have quite a few listeners out there who are women and have dealt with PCOS either themselves or somebody in their life or their family. So I think it'll be a really important information for people to know, uh, or if you may have a woman in your life, who's had that issue and dealt with PCOS and hormonal issues like that, I think it'll be important in a new angle that people haven't heard. So before we get into it, I will introduce Dr. Gersh is a multi-award winning physician with dual board certifications in OBGYN and integrative medicine. She's the founder and director of the Integrative Medical Group of Irvine, a practice that provides comprehensive healthcare for women by combining the best evidence-based therapies from conventional naturopathic and holistic medicine. She taught obstetrics and gynecology at Keck USC School of Medicine for 12 years as an assistant clinical professor, where she received the highly coveted Outstanding Volunteer Clinical Faculty Award. She now serves as an affiliate faculty member at the Fellowship in Integrative Medicine through the University of Arizona School of Medicine where she lectures and regularly grades the case presentations written by fellowship students for their exams. Also an author, Dr. Gersh is the best-selling author of PCOS SOS and the PCOS SOS Fertility Fast Track. And her newest book, Menopause, 50 Things You Need to Know is now available on Amazon. She's also had numerous scientific articles published in peer-reviewed medical journals, is a prolific lecturer and has been featured in several films and documentary series Including the real skinny on fat with Montel Williams and fasting with Doctor Walter Longo. You're a pretty busy lady.
1: (laughs) Well, I like to uh, to have a lot of variety in my life.
0: I hear you. Yeah, and um, today we're gonna. I'm gonna just jump right in. We're gonna talk about PCOS. Can you just explain to us a generalization of what is PCOS?
1: Well, first, PCOS is the most common endocrine disorder of reproductive-aged women, and the underlying issues actually, they sort of morph after women go through menopause, but many of the problems still remain. It's uh, the most common cause of infertility and a cause of very high-risk pregnancy and complications in pregnancy. So it is definitely a big deal, and almost everyone knows someone who has suffered with PCOS. So the letters stand for polycystic ovary syndrome. And as always happens in the medical world, a convention occurred of doctors getting together as a group to define it, to come up with, well, what is the definition, as you said, of PCOS? And like in many cases, there was some disagreement, but the ultimate label, in order to get that label of you have PCOS, you have to have two of the following three. You have to have irregular menstrual cycles, and or you need to have ovarian cysts that are consistent with what we call PCOS ovaries, which is like we call it a ring of pearls, like lots and lots of little tiny follicular cysts, little tiny cysts that are around the rim, the outside rim of the ovary. And or and this is where some of the disagreement came in, because many doctors feel that to have PCOS, you have to have elevated levels or clinical manifestations of high levels of androgens, like male type hormones, either testosterone, which is the most common, that would be at least 80% of women with PCOS or the adrenal androgen, D-H-E-A-S. And so most all women with PCOS have elevated androgens, typically testosterone, and typically they will have both of the other two, irregular cycles and also the the manifestations of cysts on the ovaries. But of course, my goal is to eliminate all of those things in women through hopefully lifestyle methods and then sometimes with pharmaceuticals as needed and deal with reducing all of the really complex metabolic issues. So I say PCOS is where metabolism and metabolic problems meet reproduction and reproduction related problems. And so it's really the perfect storm. So even for people who are not dealing personally with PCOS, there are lessons to be learned from the condition called PCOS because they're really relevant across all spectrums of the female lifespan and female health issues. So it's really a complex and really extremely interesting problem that has been simplified and not dealt with like from the root causes in terms of the way the conventional medical world approaches PCOS, which in many ways hasn't changed in decades.
0: I like how you mentioned that it's, it's relevant to anybody too because a lot of these conditions, uh, I've interviewed people about, I don't know, I've lost track of how many different chronic health conditions. And when we really nail down, how does this come about? Or what are the root causes of this? Or what are the triggers of this? Um, yes, there's some variance, uh, some, some that are unique to certain conditions, perhaps like this toxin is more specifically mm-hmm. related to this autoimmune condition or, or something like that. But I would say at least 75% I'll throw out there of the root causes and reasons why we're seeing insert disease name uh, are very similar. And so even if you don't have PCOS or you're not a woman, the things that play into the factors that play into the development of this condition are are probably relevant to just about everybody. And so then would be the ways to um, deal with it. Like you mentioned the life, at least the lifestyle stuff, you're not going to give somebody female hormone PCOS related (laughs) pharmaceuticals, but it's, um, I've noticed that I I used to think like, oh, each disease is going to have its own specific, you have to do this, 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 and this to get it, or this is going to be, and the more I've learned, the more I've seen that it all comes down to very common, commonly shared uh, root causes. So, um, thank you for sharing that uh, description. And I think, I think we can jump in. So, the topic today is the evolutionary transformation of PCOS. And I have to admit, when I first read that, I didn't really have any idea what that would mean. I didn't, I didn't understand it. People not used to get it or Um, Is this a new condition or is it different than it used to be? Or has our evolution changed the way that uh, women's bodies react to certain stimulus? So um, how is PCOS today uh, different than it was for our ancestral women relatives?
1: Well, it's very different. And that's why I want women who have PCOS to recognize that they come from a lineage of women who were powerful successful the leaders of their tribe and they can regain that so it turns out that women with PCOS have an innate problem that's genetically related that they don't convert testosterone to the estrogen in the ovary called estradiol as efficiently as we'll say the average quote normal woman. So the way that it works in an ovary is that all estrogen in the ovary has a precursor, it's testosterone. So the brain puts out a signal to the pituitary gland to then put out its signal to make testosterone. And then the testosterone goes down the assembly line and then goes to a different part of the ovary after it's made where it should be converted in large measure, not completely, because some testosterone, of course, is necessary for women, but much of that is converted into estradiol. Now, the enzyme that makes that conversion is called aromatase, and it's triggered by the hormone from the pituitary gland, FSH, follicle-stimulating hormone. Well, it turns out that women with PCOS in our ancestral type of female, they just didn't do it quite as efficiently. So they ended up with a just a tiny bit less estradiol and a tiny bit extra testosterone. Well, guess what? Going back thousands and thousands of years ago, that turned out to be a survival advantage because those women were just slightly less fertile. Now, the women of today, that infertility is rampant with women with PCOS. And that's the most common cause of infertility. Well, back way back then, it was a very minimal decrease in fertility. So it was like a tiny bit of built-in birth control, which was an advantage. So maybe instead of conceiving and having 10 or eight or 10, nine children, they had maybe four or five. Well, that is actually a survival advantage. They Every time a woman would go through pregnancy, and delivery, that's potentially life-threatening because of hemorrhage, infection, and so on. Plus, it depletes her body of vital nutrients, and she's supposed to take care of this baby, right? She needs to nurse the baby for a long time. And, so, and then if she has another baby that comes along too soon, that is very challenging. So it's really an advantage because she could spend more time with each child. She has time to regroup her body's energy and nutrient stores and so on. And as well, that little bit of extra testosterone made her a little bit more muscular, a little bit more energetic, a little bit outgoing, braver. And so she became more the leader of the tribe. So she was like the dominant woman. She didn't take no for an answer. She was going to stay her peace. And they've actually done studies. Women who have become... Olympic Olympic gold medalists will often have a little higher production of testosterone. They're more like the ancestral woman with PCOS, healthy, strong, muscular, you a know, high achiever, goal oriented, right? And brave, fearless, and have a little bit of ex- extra testosterone. In fact, we know that females who are like triple X and they don't make much testosterone, they're more like estrogen dominant, you might say, And they tend to be really meek, you know, they talk in a real high pitched voice and they're very shy, they're not outgoing. So we are, our personalities are definitely changed by our, our hormones. I mean, men know this, now a lot of men know that if a man gets really old and his testosterone level goes down, he tends to be less dynamic, less outgoing and forceful, right? So men wanna have that high testosterone. Well, a little bit extra for women really can set them apart and make them strong dynamic and so forth. But what happens now? Well, over time, we now it's not that much time. It's like now it's like a world that has only been transformed over very few generations. We now live in a world that is highly polluted with ubiquitous endocrine disruptors, these chemicals that actually tremendously interfere with the normal functioning of our hormones and change everything. So we have a lot of endocrine disruptors in the form of plastics, flame retardants, and all kinds of plastics, soft plastics and hard plastics. We have changes in terms of like heavy metals are now everywhere. We have mercury in our oceans and so on. And mercury and lead are actually endocrine disruptors as well as having other direct effects on like the brain. So in addition, we have had tremendous changes in our circadian rhythm because of like the invention of the light bulb. So it used to be that humans would go to bed when it would get really dark, or they just had like a little light from a flickering flame, you know, from a fire, and they would get up when the sun came up. And so they lived with the rhythm of planet earth. And that's how we evolved. In fact, 90% of the genes in the human body, male and female, Have either clock, they're directly clock genes, or they're clock gene related. So our circadian rhythm has been totally disrupted. And that also tremendously affects how the ovaries work. A lot of people don't realize the ovaries are very heavily both lunar rhythm and also circadian rhythm. And in fact, there are melatonin receptors on the ovary which are critically important for proper ovarian function. And Women who don't get proper sleep, they're not getting enough darkness at night. There's light flickering in through their eyelids and suppressing their melatonin. And of course that ever-present chronic stress, which changes how our adrenals function and our cortisol levels change, which then affects our melatonin. So all of these things have disrupted the circadian rhythm of the ovaries as well. And so that is also another contributor And then our food is so different now. It turns out, and this was originally proven just a few years ago, but a friend, a dear friend of mine in Australia presented this hypothesis about 10 years ago that the gut microbiome of women with PCOS would be abnormal or we call dysbiotic. And that was proven, the first group that proved it was out of China because they actually have done a lot of research on PCOS in China and they proved And then other groups have then additionally reproved it that women with PCOS have abnormal gut microbiomes leading to impaired gut barrier, or what we call leaky gut. And that creates an entire downstream set of problems that that are manifested in women with PCOS, creating chronic states of inflammation, immune dysregulation, brain problems, all kinds of, you know, terrible things that happen with leaky gut. And that has also severely exacerbated all the manifestations of PCOS. So what turned out to be a wonderful advantage now has turned on its head with the change in diet, the change in our rhythms, and the ubiquitous endocrine disruptors have made tremendous changes. One of the things that has also been shown in studies is that the not only is estrogen no longer produced properly, so we took a mild dysfunction and made it into a more serious dysfunction. And so instead of producing just a little bit less estradiol and have a little bit higher testosterone, now you have a major dysfunction, you have way too much testosterone and way too little estradiol. Well, to compound that problem, it's now been shown that exposure in utero. So when you are developing as a fetus, if you are exposed during critical developmental times of your endocrine, your endocrine system, including the receptors for hormones, you can actually alter the functionality for life of the receptors of the hormones, including estrogen receptors which then become dysregulated and don't work as well. And this can also affect other hormones. In fact, there's now some evidence that it affects testosterone receptors and melatonin receptors and other receptors. And in women with endometriosis, it's been shown that it affects their progesterone receptors. So many of the diseases that women are dealing with that affect their reproductive systems are also affecting many other systems in the body and can actually be linked back to exposures to chemicals in utero that alter the development of our endocrine systems and the receptors. So studies have been published showing that women with PCOS will often have dysfunction of the receptors. Kind of most people know about diabetes type two that they have insulin resistance. That means that you can have normal levels of insulin but it doesn't work properly on the receptor and that's receptor resistance. Well, that can happen with estrogen receptors. So even if you have a normal amount of estrogen It's not working properly because the receptor isn't like working right. It's like you have all the keys, but none of them work on the locks. So you can't get in. So it's like a double, triple whammy that you have now that's escalating all the effects because now we know that endometriosis has a slew of problems from progesterone receptor problems and PCOS has a slew of problems because of estrogen receptor problems. And estrogen has receptors where? everywhere, every organ in the body has estrogen receptors. And that's where it becomes this grand linkage of every organ system, which I love because you brought this up from the get go, like, how come, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a disease that is sort of emphasizing this organ system or that organ system, the underlying issues are really united, they're very similar. And in women with PCOS, because estrogen receptors are on every organ, sort of depending on which organ seems to be like the winner of the one that actually has the worst manifestations, they can end up with one of a hundred different types of symptoms in addition to the ones that define the actual condition of the irregular cycles and such. So because estrogen has receptors in every organ on the heart, the blood vessels, in the lungs, on the skin, in the bladder, in the brain, and every single organ system, you can end up with so many different problems in women with PCOS. And because the metabolic systems of the body, like the mitochondria, the energy producing factories of the cell also require estrogen in order to work properly, women with PCOS because of this estrogen deficiency combined with estrogen receptor problems, they actually have a disability that is so serious, they can't produce energy as well. And it's a different skill set to produce and store fat than it is to burn fat. So women with PCOS are very prone to obesity and And so much in our society blames them like like you're just a glutton, like, you know, you have some, you know, inherent flaw in you, you know, that's why you're so overweight, you know, or obese. And they're not understood that women with PCOS have this inability that's built into their malfunction of their mitochondria to have this process called oxidative phosphorylation that causes the burning of fat to create energy. So they're living in like a sea of like energy stored energy and the form of fat, but they can't harness it to create energy. So they're tired and they're, they're sluggish and they have a lot of problems because they can't make energy. And yet they have all this stored energy. They can't harness and turn into energy through mitochondrial function. So it's, and that affects virtually every other, you know, organ system in different ways. So it's a complex medical condition, but when you break it down into the fundamental issues, it becomes so simple to understand. And then when you look at the treatments, then it becomes so much clearer how to approach PCOS than the way that the conventional world has always looked at it, which is, just stop the ovaries from working altogether. Get rid of the ovaries. That's always sort of the go-to for women's health in the reproductive years. Yeah. If you don't know- to control they...
0: and hysterectomies, right?
1: You got it. That's yeah,
0: it fixes it. everything.
1: Oh my God. give them the
0: pill and if that doesn't work, just cut the organs out.
1: Boy, Michael, yeah. you got it right down. To, you got yeah. it, right? You got it <laughs> honed down to a nutshell. I could be there. a doctor. Yeah, you know the solution <laughs> for every female problem. Yeah, You yeah. got it.
0: yeah. Yeah. Have them be quiet too while we're at it. Yeah. That's, that's where the, the conventional medicine uh, yeah. approach is. Yeah. Or, right. or it's all in their head. First it's all in their head. Then give them the pills, then cut out the ovaries.
1: Right. And don't forget yeah, you know, the Prozac. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, it used to be, what was it
0: before? Uh, now it's Prozac. It used to, what was it? Uh, and Valium. Valium. Yeah. Yeah. yeah valium. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, you can give them both. I, yeah. I see many patients come in my door and that's exactly what they're on or, you know, they're. Conscious. They still
0: prescribe val- Valium
1: well, they're cousins, Xanax. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's a val- uh, total sidetrack. I think Valium's actually far less harmful than than Xanax uh, mm-hmm. in the long run. I think they've replaced yeah. one that, I mean, I'm not advocating either, but I've worked with people attempting to get off benzo addictions and it's very, 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 very difficult. So uh, the benzodiazepines. Yep. So um, anyways, that, wow. So you have the... Pre birth and young age factors of influencing the receptor sites, and that can be toxins. I'm guessing that a high stress environment in utero and childhood would impact that too. Um, That's
1: actually brilliant that you brought that up because we now know that many things that are happening in utero can change how genes are expressed for the rest of the life of the child. So, absolutely, we now know that mothers who are highly stressed during the pregnancy, their children tend to be more stress prone, Mm -hmm. that they actually have like lower threshold to feeling anxious. And and that's a big problem. Women who have which makes
0: sense, because the the body's getting informed about the environment it's about to enter into. And if you're telling it that it's a scary, dangerous environment, it's going to be more adept at finding the danger. And and Because this, this is also true for neurotransmitters. Uh, I've studied infant Mm -hmm. child development quite a bit from like a psychological standpoint and like mental illness and depression and things and addiction. Absolutely. Um, It's such
1: a, uh, such a big deal. And one of the things that happens is because infertility is so prevalent in women with PCOS, they often go to the fertility centers, right? Mm -hmm. And typically they will almost immediately just put them on a three month starvation diet, because the majority, 80% of women with PCOS are overweight and obese. So then they tell
0: them they can't get pregnant because they're overweight.
1: Right. But they put them on a starvation diet for three months. The women who are, they call lean PCOS, which makes up 20%. They also have a lot of the same problems. The only difference is that they are what we call, and this, I did not make up this term, the skinny fat. So they actually have, an insufficient amount of muscle mass. They're actually, things are not working right. I mean, clearly in this case, the the testosterone level is not building big muscles and bone it's because nothing is working right. We, We also know that there can be testosterone receptor problems as well. Plus what is often not recognized is that in order for testosterone in a woman to work properly, you need to prime the receptors with estradiol. So you need, that's why you should never just give a bunch of a- testosterone by itself. These are like team players. You gotta realize how all these things interact with one another. And women who are overweight um, have one you know, set of problems, but they're very comparable with a few exceptions in the thin ones, because they, when you do like a CAT scan you find the lean women with PCOS often have a lot of visceral fat, a lot of belly fat. And it, they're highly inflamed as well, and they also have a lot of fertility problems and pregnancy-related complications. And uh, so they're they're not like home free just because they're not sev- severely overweight. But what happens is when they go to the fertility centers, they're not ovulating. They are the most difficult ones to work with with IVF. But they usually put them pretty quickly into IVF, and they put them first on a three-month starvation diet, which is not sustainable. And they do, you know, if you starve people, they lose weight, but you also alter their metabolism in a negative way so that they will just regain it. Like how many times do we have to try that experiment? <laughs> you starve people and they lose some weight. They often lose a lot of lean body mass, like their muscle and, and you know the, the tissue that you don't wanna lose. And they only lose some of it as fat. And they often lose like the support fat, not the visceral fat. It's just not a good way to, to ultimately get healthy, but you can lose some weight and that will improve short-term like the fertility success, but then they just do the IVF. And when they're lucky and they succeed and they don't miscarry, which is another high risk thing for the women, they often have pregnancy related complications because they really haven't become healthy before conceiving they simply put them in a starvation mode and have nutrient deficiencies and so on. And then their children, and this has been proven now many times over, that the children born to metabolically unhealthy women become themselves metabolically unhealthy humans. That's why it's like you see a a family and they're all looking unhealthy and the children too. And it can be genetically programmed, unfortunately. That's why it's so critical that women with PCOS and any woman has their health optimized prior to conception because this will not only affect the course of their pregnancy, lower the risk of all kinds of terrible complications that can be life threatening to themselves and their baby, but also affect the quality of health that their child will have for the entire life of the child. And that is not being done in these fertility centers. They're not saying, let's get you really healthy, even if you know, we delay for another three months or six months, we need to have you really healthy first before you conceive. That's not how it works at all. And if they're not really obese, like severely obese, they don't even put them on that three month starvation diet. They just go right into IVF And then, you know, when they're successful, which is not a high, high percentage, but when they are successful, they, they end up with so many complications for mother and baby alike. That's why it's so, you know, this is such an important message about the epigenetics and the modification and, and so on for all women. And most pointedly for women with PCOS who have such severe metabolic dysfunction, and we can't like reverse it back to perfect. Um, but we can do so much. And so we always say, let's go for better because we can do a whole lot better than what is being done today for women with PCOS.
0: Man, there's a lot to unpack here. We've talked about, you know, from birth to, or pre-birth, from in utero to, I mean, there's, there's exposures as adults too. I mean, we're focusing a lot on, you know, this carries over from childhood Mm -hmm. and this, but I mean, Look at all the products we put on our skin. Look at all the things we oh spray around God. our house. Like that little thing you plug in that sprays poison in the air every thirty seconds. Like all of those kind of oh
1: my gosh, there
0: things. Yeah, the I perfect can't.
1: storm. The perfect storm. Well, th- this is so interesting uh, because we now know that because children are born modified through their um, their genetics and through the exposures to these chemicals in utero you know, they did a study many years ago now where they took cord blood of babies and they studied them and found well over 200 toxic chemicals in their cord blood. So this is showing you that these things get into mothers. In fact, the the chemical that's been most studied in utero in terms of uh, PCOS has been bisphenol A, which as you probably know and many of your um, listeners that BPA has often been replaced with BPS. Which is probably even more toxic than BPA. So uh, there's no such thing as safe. But then they plastic. can put no
0: BPA on the label.
1: Exactly. But there's yeah, no. Such I was thing trying like to find something plastic. with plastic
0: to hold up, but I don't even have anything that's plastic in here. So here, I'm, I have, I'm winning. I don't have I any have BPA in
1: here. A, a urine collection cup. Did oh, nobody, yeah. Nobody's, nobody's drinking, drinking out of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's why we have plastic, but nobody's yeah. drinking out of my urine collection yeah. cup. So exactly. The, yeah. And, so, and
0: receipts too. Like my wife is a oh. nurse. Yes, and GPA. before COVID, I mean, nurses are often wearing gloves, but before COVID, it wasn't always gloves all the time. And all the little tickets that the little machine prints out all day at the hospital, oh, like yeah. thousands and thousands of tickets. And then yeah. anybody who works in uh, and retail and cash registers, all of those little, and every time they hand you one.
1: And the interesting thing is that if you use the alcohol hand sanitizers.
0: it doesn't it increase the.
1: Yes. It increases the absorption. Yeah. So all this through COVID, it's like you keep putting on the alcohol, you know, the Purell kind of stuff. And then touching And, and the then tickets. you're touching this. Oh my yeah. gosh, it's terrible. So I tell people that you should take a Ziploc baggie if you have to get the receipts. Keep a ziplock baggie, have and them then, put it right in there, yeah, right, and tell them and tell them they should wear gloves, okay, yeah. and then just put it directly in the ziplock bag. I've seen and- more
0: of that. I don't know if mm-hmm. that was me moving to Northern California where people were more conscientious more. of it, but I saw more checkout people when I lived in the Bay Area um, wearing a glove on the hand that they used to take the tickets than I've Good. ever seen anywhere, and it was right. always really encouraging to see that, yeah. So. I'd like to briefly interrupt this conversation to let everyone know that we've got a free downloadable Foundations of Wellness starter kit that's available for you right now over at www.rebelhealthtribe.com foundations if you'd like a little help organizing and implementing all your learning from this podcast, a gift from our team over at Rebel Health Tribe, producers of this show. And now back to your episode.
1: They used to say, well, they still do, you know, that the, um, when they tested the mother's blood, they said the BPA levels are below like a threshold, which is made up anyway, right? Below some critical negative threshold that it would create harm. Well, it turns out, number one, there is no critical level that anyone really knows. Number two, this is like the ultimate in horribleness. And that is that now we know that BPA actually concentrates in the fetus. So the level in the fetus is multiple times higher than what is in the maternal blood. Like, how's that for like, insult to injury there. So they were saying, oh, look, it's okay in the mother's blood without realizing that it was concentrating in the baby at much higher levels. And they've actually shown as well, and I'm looking at it as well, that women with the worst manifestations of PCOS. So those would be women who have the worst irregular cycles. They're the most obese. They have the most hirsutism. So androgen excess, when you have excessive amounts of testosterone will manifest with growing a beard, you know, so that they have to shave and do a lot of laser and electrolysis. They, They can grow a significant amount of facial hair, but it can also be on their chest, on their back. I mean, and they can get cystic recalcitrant, like really hard to treat deep cysts predominantly along the jawline, and then they lose hair. So they have what's called androgenic alopecia, where it's the female version of male pattern baldness, which is like beyond distressing. So you have this young woman who's like in her early 20s and she's like seriously overweight. She has a beard to deal with and all this other body hair. She has terrible acne that isn't like, even when they use things like Accutane, there's a seriously high rate of recurrence so like it clears up and then six months later it comes back and uh, it's a real problem and they're going bald. So it's like, and then of course they have many other problems, you know, cause they often have depression, anxiety, low libido, and um, they often have Hashimoto's cause they have leaky gut. So they're going to have more Hashimoto's. So they have hypothyroidism. They have um, arth- more arthritis Uh, It's just, and then they have insulin resistance or very inflamed, chronically low level inflammation is like the, the name of the game and that breeds insulin resistance. And now people know, but not, not mostly the people taking care of the patients, but science know, scientists know that estrogen actually regulates what are called the glucose transport system, the glute, G-L-U-T, the glucose transport system that, allows glucose to be transported into cells. So not having enough estrogen creates insulin resistance. Like you have higher levels of sugar that, and the, the, you're not gonna have proper transport of sugar into the cells. So now you can't even get the energy source, you know, the glucose into the cells. They can't properly use the fat. Um, then they have higher levels of insulin. Now, this is like another talk about insult to injury. When you have high levels of circulating insulin, which is classic for women with PCOS, insulin increases another hormone called IGF-1, insulin-like glucose uh, peptide one, so GLP-1. And um, what happens is when you have, not, I'm sorry, um, IG, insulin-like glucose factor one, IGF-1, when you have that increased, that goes into the cell in the ovary and then increases testosterone production even more. And when you don't have enough estrogen, the other one, the, the GLP one, so all these initials sound so alike, the glucagon-like peptide one, which is a little type of a hormone in, that's made by lining cells in the gut when you don't have the right gut microbiome, that is decreased and that helps regulate your appetite and also contributes to maintaining proper weight and and energy production, that goes down. So then they have dysregulated appetite. And many women with PCOS will have binge eating disorder because of um, dysregulated appetite as well. That's why GLP-1 agonists, which are drugs that are used now for both weight loss and for diabetes, are now slowly being incorporated. That's one of the pharmaceuticals that can sometimes short-term help women with PCOS to sort of get them going It's sort of to help them to get started on the right track, to lose some of that, you know, weight, which could be like a hundred pounds excess.
0: It's like a, a, a hunger suppressant.
1: It is, it does. It really works very well. And people can lose weight. The problem is in the real world, in the, you know, the real world of conventional medicine, not my world, hopefully, you know, there is no exit strategy to these drugs. In other words, you can put a woman on this drug, and then what do you do? You, if you stop it, and they're doing the same lifestyle stuff, you just end up back where you started, right? So the yeah. studies always go out like six months, and then it showed all this weight loss. And then the study's over, but like, what's your long-term strategy here, guys? Oh, there yeah. isn't. Well, that's where, you know, really you use it. I call it like a jump start or like a bridge to help. A lot I of think.
0: pharmaceuticals can be used as, I, I exactly. used to be like very typical within the functional medicine world of like line in the sand, like all- all pharmaceuticals are evil and you should never take any of them and if you take any of them you're failing and all of those kind of things until my wife had a really severe autoimmune flare and mm-hmm. the only thing that she responded to was prednisone and nothing else touched it and it was either being in excruciating pain or being yeah. on a steroid and then figuring out okay now we have the pain down we can think clearly <laughs> Because when somebody's in tons of pain, you're you're not, oh, uh, you're, not you're not thinking the brain
1: clearly. is inflamed. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: So like getting that and then work from there. Or uh, you know, I've also learned that uh through working with the doctor that we've worked with, uh with is Dr. Eric Gordon in the Bay Area, um, he uses certain immunosuppressant drugs that are used for autoimmunity at say usually 300 milligrams as a dose he'll use them at like 15 milligrams and they have and so there's ways to use pharmaceuticals and this is for the people out there staunchly against all pharmaceuticals there are ways to use pharmaceuticals in a like you said like a kickstart or a putting out the fire or as an aid or as in addition to I think where the problem comes in is when they're the only thing that's being used and nobody's changing anything. Nobody's doing anything differently with their food or their lifestyle or their stress or whatever. And then they're on this pill. Then they got to take that pill. Then it has to be this other pill also to negate that pill's side effects. And then you go down these rabbit holes. I think that when used in a responsible way with like you said, what's your exit strategy with an exit strategy and a cohesive like Yes, we'll take this to help suppress the appetite now and we'll do XYZ things right. so that by the time you get off of this, your life is different and you won't need it. I'm a c- converted rabid anti medication at all costs person. And I just I try to drop that in anytime that I see that it's well, relevant. Is that well
1: these I'm things so are not it's... evil,
0: they're tools.
1: Well, I'm very pro-science <laughs> and I feel that the conventional medical world has forgotten about the lifestyle issues that we talk about so much, you know, the food as medicine, which, you know, goes back to Hippocrates has gotten forgotten, targeted evidence-based supplements, um, working with now time-restricted eating and various types of fasting Mm -hmm. and um, like eliminating as best we can environmental toxicants, and understanding the role of low grade chronic infections, you know, those pathogens that now we're finding have come back into the the picture that we thought, uh, just when we thought they were gone, now we know that chronic low grade infections can have a tremendous role in terms of autoimmunity, in terms of cancer and all kinds of things. And um, it's like really a fascinating world when you combine all modes you know, all evidence-based modalities. That's what I call integrative medicine, which I practice is we have just a larger therapeutic toolbox. So we don't eliminate science. We don't eliminate like amazing like drugs that have changed the course of cancers with, you know, immunotherapies, and, you know, immune modulators, and all kinds of things that have changed the course of diseases in so many ways. But once again, I'm in total alignment with you, that they're not standalones, that you look at them in the context of all the other things you're doing. And what you think of the mechanisms, that's like functional medicine, like, we don't just throw things at people and not think about like what is it really doing in the body? We wanna understand mechanisms in the body. So we we are being smart, right? So that we think this has this effect and this has a downstream effect and collateral issues and so on so that we can sort of put together a holistic meaning the whole picture kind of an approach and always evidence-based and always starting with the safest and most efficacious way to approach and with pcOS to me in ninety nine percent of cases, it's always start with lifestyle Now sometimes lifestyle alone is not quite sufficient and then we may have to add like estrogen so I can as an MD I can prescribe estradiol so instead of giving birth control chemicals which are not which are actually endocrine disruptors if you go to toxicology.gov all the ingredients in a birth control pill are listed as endocrine disruptors and you can't forget their original purpose in this world was to create havoc and chaos in the female body so she can't be fertile and and like it or not fertility is a vital sign of health of a female it's like one body
0: what an you- inconvenient thing that is it's very our, inconvenient. in our society. Yeah. It's I like,
1: know. It's like well, fertility yeah. is is integral into the whole female body. So that's why estrogen, I consider estrogen in the form of estradiol. it's like the glue that links all metabolic functions of the body. So you have an optimally functioning brain and cardiovascular system and musculoskeletal system. And every system in the body is optimally functioning when you have optimal estrogen, along with all the other nutrients and everything else that goes into healthy lifestyle. And that coordinates with an optimal reproductive system. It's and all of these systems are replicated, the enzyme systems and so on are replicated in the reproductive organs and in the peripheral systems of the body. And when you see it as a whole, then you realize you can't like it or not, it just is what it is. You can't poison the reproductive system and not at the same time poison the entire system. Another
0: inconvenient thing.
1: I know. So, (laughs) I mean, I'm not for women having uncontrolled reproductive functions, but we need to be honest. Because I always say, you can't solve a problem if you haven't first defined the problem. So we need to be honest about things. Nothing can be so big, it cannot fail. When when the solution that's being offered is really a slow poison by putting endocrine disruptors into women's bodies, that have effects. And, and and women now are getting put on birth control pills, especially women that are t- trending towards, you can't really diagnose PCOS in a young teen, but you can say they're trending towards well, There's PCOS. so many.
0: I've met a lot of health groups and practitioner forums, and so many people post in there, like, my 14-year-old daughter's been put on birth control because- Exactly, exactly. of
1: like, oh my God. Because when you go through puberty, it becomes uh, really clear that you're unhealthy when the first thing that happens in a female body is she has messed up cycles. They're irregular, they're painful. She has PMS, they're too heavy and so on. Instead of recognizing that as a red flag, that this young girl who's like 13, 14, that she has- Issues with her health and, and we their just manifested. shut the alarm off. We just shut the whole system down, like we talked <laughs> yeah. about, and and that is a false approach. That we need to help her. I mean, she it could be as simple as she has magnesium deficiency. It could be multiple deficiencies. It could be endocrine disruptors. In fact, they've now shown that like young girls, as young as like seven years of age, that you can predict that they're going to have PCOS because they're like a little pudgy. Like they already can't burn fat properly and they still have their so-called baby fat around their belly, you know, like, like, you know, but it's cute. Like when you're seven, not really, but you know, but they can't, they're already metabolically unhealthy as a little kid. And if you measure a hormone that's made by adipose tissue called adiponectin. So adiponectin that we now know fat tissue is like a hormone a producer. Okay, so it's a very complex system in fat tissue, what's going on in there. And they make a variety of hormones. They make like leptin, which helps regulate appetite, um, which is also controlled by estrogen, and it makes adiponectin, which helps to control burning of fat, which is also, re- you know, controlled by estrogen. And women who are kids, I should say, they're like seven years old, they, if you measure their adiponectin, it is substantially lower than what it should be. So you could actually recognize as a pediatrician, you know, or a mom of a young child, who a girl who's like seven even younger, six, seven, eight years of age, that things are already going wrong metabolically. And what can you do about that? Well, you can do a lot, you can, you know, make sure that they're exercising, that they're sleeping, that they're eating the right foods, and so forth. There's a ton that you can do to not have the the severe manifestations of PCOS actually occur. So it's I call it realized destiny. Your destiny doesn't have to be bad. You can change that by taking proactive steps. I mean, that's what preventive medicine is all about. And I'm trying to educate pediatricians to recognize that, you know, that this is a pediatric condition. Well, it really starts in utero and then it's interesting. So my looking at it, I found I'm sure a lot of people have heard of methylation. So, and we do that by checking the gene of MTHFR. So so what happens I found that women who have some of the worst manifestations of PCOS when you check MTHFR they're they're homozygous so in other words they have two genes for not being a very good methylator so their ability to do this process is down about 70% or so from what could be optimal and they therefore have lesser capability to eliminate endocrine disruptors. And when they measure BPA in their bodies, they're higher than it is in the average woman. So that could mean, but doesn't necessarily mean that they're exposed to more BPA because we're all exposed all the time. But what it can mean, and most likely means is that they're less capable of eliminating it, which they were also when they were little teeny fetuses and babies too, right? So they've had higher total body loads of endocrine disruptors because they're not as good at detoxifying and getting rid of these um, chemicals. And so, you know, it's like, that's the perfect storm where you're taking other genes that weren't even involved in PCOS per se. And they are just like the perfect storm of exacerbating this condition. And so that can just make really wipe out for women when they have, even higher, higher levels of endocrine disruptors in a body that can't really manufacture and utilize the estrogen that they are, that they do have. So we can, but we can deal with this because you can give methylated B products, right? Methylated, you know, you can give methylcobalamin, we can give tetramethylfolate, we can give pre-methylated B vitamins to these women. Once we identify them, we can, educate on plastics. Like I was so proud of you. You couldn't find any plastic. How great was that? I really
0: wanted to grab something. I
1: know. Well, that's great. So, you know, like you, people need to know like how do they get exposed to endocrine disruptors and like pesticides, like, um, sadly, like my mom who ended up getting a type of, uh, cancer that's involving the immune system. And they now have linked this to use of pesticides. Well, she grew up and she didn't know anything about the dangers of pesticides. They sold Raid in cans, the spray. So she didn't like having bugs in her house. So she thought it was perfectly fine to just go around with this bug spray and just spray everything, including like herself. Because, you know, it was like, in fact, they did that to young women when they were on the beach, like in the, you know like at Jones Beach in New York and they would spray for mosquitoes with um, terrible, you know, like DDT and different other terrible pesticides that are endocrine disruptors. And then they found that those young girls, they were 13, 14, when they were like, you know, in their thirties, they were getting breast cancer. Well, they were being epigenetically modified. And, you know, with these endocrine disruptors that increased cancers, like the hormonally based cancers later in life. And uh, so these are all things that people can be aware of, at least you can, not buy that stuff, you know, don't do it, you know, there are better ways to deal with ants and mosquitoes, you know, we can have more natural ways. And, you know, you want to not buy a lot of plastic, like I got rid of all of my Tupperware, remember Tupperware? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah, And I, I, uh, you know, I had like this huge collection before I knew anything. And I had those um, Teflon, Lining in my yep. pots, you yeah, know, the black, it's like the black. Oh pans, my right? God, that they would like scrape off, and it's like, oh, well, that's still usable, like not no, realizing it's in my scrape food. off into
0: the food, and you literally eat oh the Oh my
1: God, that's uh, that's right. And, um, you know, some of those chemicals like,
0: even were there, they were they're so bad, the nonstick stuff, that some of those companies voluntarily pulled the stuff off the market before yeah. they got in trouble, and that if anybody knows anything about chemical companies, they don't do that. So if like well, 3M, they, they if 3M pulls something off the market, that means that their internal people said, we're going to lose more money on lawsuits over this thing than we're going to make selling it. So we got to pull it. That's how those decisions are made. Don't think it was... Uh altruistic at any point ever that they do anything. It's it's totally a math equation, and they have an actuary somewhere that's like, oh, this is going to lose us more money than we'll make. But yeah, we had the black pans, we had the Tupperwares. Ours were all stained red because in an Italian family it was all pasta sauce. You put that in a in a Tupperware one time and then it's it's red. And that's right.
1: And and then you wonder, like, well, you didn't wonder in those days. uh, Oh, yeah, the D right, the bug sprays all Mm -hmm. over the place. So you spray your house and then you spray your body and you spray your clothes and and,
0: and the scented sprays came out and the scented candles and the scented... And the
1: blade, yeah, 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 the scent. Right, right, all the phthalates. And then now we know that like shower curtains that are made out of vinyl that uh, they like release... Oh, when they're heated from the heat from the the, hot The hot hot showers, right? It causes a release of the the vinyl fumes, which is like really toxic. You know, so, and then if you have a vinyl floor, you know, so the the whole bathroom, it becomes like poison zone, who knew? (laughs) Yeah. And, then and people are
0: wondering it. how they get sick.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you have to, the people are, we're trying to educate. Right. Yeah. And then, like I say, you know, the, the most important thing is to buy the healthiest food that you can. Like, I don't care if you have to buy used, you know, tables, you know, I mean, I, you know, I actually, yeah. I. off gassing furniture, another story. Call it, you know, um, antique. That's right. That's, I have patients that they have sick house syndrome, you know, because they have, um, so much off-gassing of formaldehyde from cabinetry, which are also endocrine disruptors. So, you know, these are things that- Carpets, um, couches,
0: uh, glues. Oh,
1: yeah, right. Carpet is like poison, unfortunately. You know, part of the reason that infertility in males and females, sperm counts are plummeting. Fertility among women is really- Like plummeting,
0: plummeting. Like I've seen statistics that are like, at at this rate, there like won't be new people- Two or three generations That's from right
1: now. and it's very scary right mm-hmm. for those of us who are in this arena and women with PCOS are really the poster child you know condition of how endocrine disruptors can combine with genes that were good for us and actually helped with survival you know in so many beneficial ways in ancient times and turned everything on its head and combined with you know the crazy circadian rhythm dysfunctions and also you know the crazy food you know this, like I had to I used to travel before COVID all over the world and I just sneaked in that trip to India I was like all over the place lecturing with the Indian Menopause Society it was so fun but um, I used to sit a lot in airports of course because that's what happens you sit around in airports and I would people watch and I would see people eating what I thought looked like garbage. And so I said, is this even food? So I had to go to dictionary.com. And of course I found out if not food, by definition, food has to have nutritional value. So, you know, people are eating stuff that doesn't even qualify as food. So I said, like, to, like, would you like lick the floor? I'm hungry, I'll lick the floor. Of course you wouldn't, but why are you putting this in your mouth? Do you look at the label? What the heck is all that stuff you're putting in your mouth You know, and your kids and so on, it's like terrible. And this stuff wreaks havoc on our gut microbiome. It, and then it's what you eat and what's not in the food, what's in it and what's not in it. So you're eating toxins that are crazy, bad for you, and you're not getting the nutrients you need to run the machinery of your cells. So, and then you combine that with women who have an innate problem with the conversion of testosterone into estrogen, and they explode with testosterone, and then that leads, everything has downstream effects. When you have really high levels of testosterone, it then in turn has an alteration of the gut microbiome and creates a more testosterone producing environment. So it's really interesting. Like men have a very different gut microbiome than women. So if you actually did a fecal transplant from a man into a woman, guess what happens to her? She starts to produce more testosterone.
0: Yeah, you Uh, you mentioned that when we did the masterclass presentation, and it blew my mind.
1: Well, absolutely. (laughs) And so the, right, so in women with PCOS, they have alterations of all their microbiomes. And this has been shown, not only their gut microbiome, but their oral microbiome. So they're more prone to gingivitis. And the microbes in our mouth are key to the production of this critically important signaling agent and antioxidant gas called nitric oxide. So we get half of our nitric oxide through manufacturing in our arteries using estrogen that triggers an enzyme called endothelial nitric oxide synthase, which isn't going to work properly in an absence of adequate estrogen. And through the foods we eat, the nitrate containing vegetables that are converted the microbes in our mouth that have enzymes called reductases converting the nitrates into nitrites, which down in the stomach and further in the gut is converted from nitrites into nitric oxide. Well, you need the right microbiome in your mouth, and women with PCOS don't have that, as a lot of other people don't, because they use like toxic toothpaste and mouthwash, another whole story but they don't have it because you need hormones. And that's what happens after menopause. Women often have a lot of tooth loss and and gingivitis and things. And women have that at a young age with PCOS. And then, so not only do they have all those problems, but in addition, they have now a double whammy. They can't make nitric oxide and nitric oxide is critically important for vascular health. And without it, you're more prone to high blood pressure which is very prevalent at a younger age in women with PCOS and as well, nitric oxide regulates T regulatory lymphocytes that help the body to maintain a sense of self so that our immune system doesn't attack ourselves. You need those T regs and nitric oxide is really critical. So women without this adequate amount, like women with PCOS, they're more prone to getting autoimmune conditions like Hashimoto's and and so forth. So I mean there's like so many levels that these things are you know like that's why you could talk for days on once you don't have one thing what the downstream effects on this and this and this how you know it is so critically important and then we know women with PCOS don't have this the normal skin microbiome. So it turns out the microbes on our skin are, you know, are all the good microbes, they're actually at war with the bad ones. So there's always this war going on that we don't see where the good microbes that we call the commensals our friendly ones are putting out chemicals and toxins that kill the invading microbes that are trying to take over. So there's always and when you don't have the right microbes on your skin, you can't fend off certain types of bacteria that can then create all these acne breakouts and so on. So And you know, in order to have proper microbial populations everywhere in the body, including the the vagina, the vagina of women with PCOS are more prone to having yeast infections and BV and bacterial vaginosis, because they don't have the right microbiome there. You require the proper hormonal balance. And that's why often if they can't, if I can't trigger the right hormone production, it's, I call it like you, you can't heal without the hormones and until you have the hormones you can't heal. So you need the hormones to heal and you can't, um, and you just won't heal without the hormones. So I have to give the hormones, the human bioidentical hormones first, and then I call them like training wheels. And then I can help their microbial populations throughout their body to become more normalized And then I can take away the training wheels, I take away the hormones, and then they can actually make their own hormones. So you and then they can be more uh, healing because estrogen is required for healing. Estrogen regulates the entire immune system in so many ways, like it's a, it's like a modulator, it helps turn on the inflammatory process. And it also turns off the inflammatory process. So if we don't have the right amount, you go into that default state, which is pro-inflammatory. So anyway, so that's why you need to have so many tools. You need all the lifestyle approach with proper diet and stress control, you know, meditation, all the mind-body medicine and work on sleep and sleep hygiene and toxin reduction and and all these, you know, exercise. Fitness is so key for women with polycystic ovary syndrome. And then sometimes we have to give pharmaceuticals like GLP-1 agonists to help with regulating fat burning and appetite and glucose regulation. And sometimes we need to give human bioidentical hormones so that the body can actually heal and then reestablish the healthy microbial populations throughout the body. So it's complex, but the solution is never, in my opinion, you just permanently for decades often put these young girls and women on oral contraceptives, endocrine disruptors, and sometimes they throw in metformin and sometimes spironolactone, and I'm not anti-spironolactone as that's another drug that can sometimes be very helpful over time, you know, short time, you know, like maybe even a couple of years to help modulate the testosterone receptors and, and so on, just to sort of down, you know, like turn down the fire a bit, but that's not, shouldn't be forever. And then we, metformin has never been very good for weight loss and it's never done better than, uh, lifestyle, when they've done studies comparing lifestyle to metformin, lifestyle always wins. And the solution they always say is, well, people won't do lifestyle. So we put on the metformin. I don't buy that. Okay. People care that if you motivate them and educate them, they will do what's in their own best interest, especially women who want to have a baby because they are highly motivated when they understand that their health determines their child's health for life. How important is that? And um, so we, we can do this. We can have a tremendous impact on changing and just giving metformins, lactone and birth control pills for ages ongoing indefinitely is not a solution because it's not helping. Until the they body cut out peel. their uterus. That's often done. That <laughs> yeah no
0: that's that's step one. Step two is cutting out the parts when that doesn't work anymore. Um, I'm sorry I'm agitated. Uh, me too. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine because I don't work in the field so it's got to be 10 times for you. Um, but you help women heal from the damage done from that approach. So that's um, great. And we need more doctors that are educated in these things to be able to help reverse that. Because I can't even, I'm sure there's statistics of it, but I can't even imagine how many women under 18 are on those medications or. Um, well,
1: in India, because I was there, you know, before the COVID um they actually estimate, cause nobody keeps track and the women there don't even want to ever admit that they have PCOS because it's like a heinous thing to have a fertility problem. So, um, but they think it could be over between 35 and 39% of women now in India and in the US because nobody keeps track of any of this either because they they would have to look at diagnosis codes and, and often that's not what's coded PCOS is not coded they may code irregular cycles or some other symptom they're not coding PCOS so but they think it's anywhere from 10 to 25% of american women now have some it's a spectrum you know so there's all degrees have some they're somewhere on the spectrum of PCOS, I mean, this is an epidemic, guys. You know, we gotta. And the solution isn't like shut down the ovaries and give metformin. Come on.
0: <laughs> so yeah, and you mentioned so much there too—the diet, the the circadian rhythm is huge, and that's huge with every single health condition. You yeah, mentioned the microbiome why, and drugs that can yeah. be helpful for short periods of time. The estrogen, um, eating the highest quality food possible, getting the poison stuff out of your house and off your body and out of the air and out of your area as much as people as always want to know, what do, I, what do I do to detox? I say, well, take away all the poison first.
1: That's absolutely like, true. That's it's the like, first thing. I'd say the same thing. If you're in a house on fire, the yeah. first thing is put out the fire before you start like redecorating.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, they always want know? what <laughs> supplements can I take to detox? I say, well, throw out all the stuff that's in your bathroom. And then- We'll talk or get an, it. An air purifiers or air filters or do these things like the things that remove the exposure first. Like that's the lowest hanging fruit. So, absolutely l- inventory the stuff you're putting in your mouth, on your body, in the air, in your house, and all of that first. And so, you gave a huge list there. There's a lot that can be done. I I encourage people to look into this further. There's so much more. I mean, your book, I'm sure, is we've been talking for an hour. I'm sure your book has five <laughs> times more stuff in it. So, send people to where there's more information and we'll have links down below. Uh, she provided links for us. We'll have everything down below for okay. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I have a YouTube channel um, and links to your, to your books. And you mentioned oh, that's it. we're going to do a promotion where people can get first chapter from the book. And so we'll have all the links right below. Where would you recommend they start if PCOS is their main concern with all of your various places on the internet they can go?
1: Well, I would say to get my first, I call it my like fundamental book on everything that you should know and do. It's like a seven step what to do for PCOS. It explains it has hundreds and hundreds of references. So Mm -hmm. my original book, PCOS SOS is where you should start. Okay. And of course, I am here, I'm actually speaking to you from one of my exam rooms, I have a brick and mortar practice, I'm kind of old fashioned, I, I still see patients in person, I also can do telemedicine. And I'm here five days a week in my office working and seeing patients. So come to me at integrative medical group of Irvine, if you can, we're in typically, although not today, sunny Southern California,
0: highly recommend it. Uh, I can vouch for the sunniness normally of Southern California. I spent five years in San Diego. So uh, beautiful weather, great clinic, excellent book. We'll have all the links below. Please follow, check it out, look up all the rest of her work, so much to learn. And like you said at the beginning, so much here that applies to everyone. It's not just women with PCOS. These are the same, these are the same root causes that I've heard of over and over and over and over. And And it's just, how does it manifest in each individual can be different? So exactly. thank you so much for sharing all of this great information and for all the work you're doing. And I always enjoy connecting. So let's do more stuff. My pleasure. And that wraps up another episode of the natural evolution podcast. Thanks for listening. And please check out the links in the show notes below to learn more about our guests and grab your free downloadable foundations of wellness starter kit which will help you implement what you're learning here and make powerful shifts in your health and your life right away. Just go to www.rebelhealthtribe.com backslash foundations, and you can be started in only a few minutes. If you enjoy the show, please drop a rating, review, or subscribe to stay in the loop with future releases.